Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Theology Matters with the Blues. We're so happy to be with you on this Friday. Um, Devin and I decided that Friday is maybe the best day to um, do recording because it's kind of a, a laid-back day for people. And so here we are on, on a Friday, but um, Devin is not here with me today, so it's just me, your host, Melissa Pelu, and we are going to be talking about an interesting topic uh, that is important and near to Devin in my heart on um, listening to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Before we jump in, I would love to pray with, with you um, and just ask the Lord to bless our time together in our discussion. Dear Lord, thank you so much for um, this Friday, for giving us a, a, a week. For many of us, um, including myself, it's been a tough week. But here we are, Lord. And here we are learning more about your word and more about how to share your word with those who are deceived. So just help help uh, us through this broadcast to communicate clearly about the things that matter the most uh, and the things that lead our friends uh, who are in Jehovah's Witness um, relation to know the true Christ and the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And I do, just to clarify, I do have uh, some sign of stuff going on. So my voice is like kind of in and out and that, but I hope that you can overlook that. Um, if you don't mind, but I'm just going to be with you just for a few minutes today just to discuss um, witnessing to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, as you as you talk to people, uh, many times, they, uh, you know, particularly Christians, you'll hear the, um, the saying that when they come, when the Jehovah's Witnesses come knocking on the door, you just act like you're not home, you shut the, the blinds, you don't answer the door, or you just shoo them away. Um, and, and I can understand that because when you're convinced and you're a true believer, you, you don't want anyone coming to try to um, sway your belief system, right? None of us wants anyone who is preaching false doctrine to do that openly. Um, however, we, with the Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance, they are going door to door and they're sharing their um, truth from um, their New World Translation and from their leaders and, and from the, the different literature that they have because they feel like this is a part of them being true Jehovah's Witnesses. And so when we slam the door in their face, when we when they know we're home, but we act like we're not home, this actually um, gives them more clout, so to speak. It, it, it helps them to feel like they are uh, more persecuted. And so they feel like they are gaining more grounds of Jehovah because they're being persecuted for spreading Jehovah's gospel. So, Devin and I always encourage people when they come to your door to open the door and to welcome them in. And I know this can be uncomfortable for a lot of people, um, but but it, it's really 
the right thing to do. We we always pray about evangelism and God send people to me and help me share the gospel and these sort of things. But think about it. God, when he sends a Jehovah Witness to your doorstep, that's an open door right there at your doorstep in your home. You don't even have to leave up, leave your home to share the true gospel with someone who's deceived. So, you know, when we're praying those prayers, we need to be mindful that it may look like a Jehovah Witness coming to your doorstep. <laughs> and so we just cannot undermine them and those experiences that we can possibly have with them. So many of you know, Deb and I, um, we've been doing a number of different um, witnessing techniques and opportunities with Jehovah's Witnesses probably for the last 10 years or so. Um, When we moved here to our our new location near uh, in Rock Hill, near Winston University, where we are chapter directors of Ratio Christie, please look us up at ratiochristie.org slash people slash Devin and Melissa Palou, and you'll learn more about our, more about our work there and how we're full-time missionaries um, on the campus. And you you can learn about ways that you can help us to further our ministry um, through prayer, financial donations, and in different ways, um, and in ways that you can even invite us into your um, church or small group or youth group to talk about various apologetic issues. But um, to go back to this, when when we, we pray about having opportunities to share the gospel, and so when a Jehovah Witness shows up at your door, rather than shutting, slamming at the door in their face or pretending that we're not home, we should just pray and ask God for wisdom and thank God for sending a lost person to our doorstep. I mean, what, what better place in your home um, to openly share the gospel and to openly dialogue with people who are, who are, who are lost, who don't realize that they're lost? So that, that's our, the first tip because this, um, this discussion, um, we'll, I'll get into some of the, the theological differences, some, but we wanted some more talk about the practicality of witnessing to Jehovah Witnesses and and how you can do that, how anyone can do that on an ongoing basis. Um, now, there may be times when they come to your door when, obviously, if you have kids or you have a doctor's appointment or something and you're rushing, you may, you may have to do other things or you just may not be prepared at that very moment when they come to the door. If you tell them that, you know, I've, I can't, we spend time with you right now, but if you come back, we can sit down. They will more than gladly accept an invitation to come back, and you can schedule that around the time that that best meets your schedule. But they will they will show back up. They are they are very faithful in that, so they they will meet that commitment. So that that's that's one thing, you know. So. If you feel like they come to the door and you're unprepared or you don't know what to say, you know, there may be a person in your church or your community or 
a website ministry. Um, think of ministries like Corn and and things like that that have specific ministry um, tools uh, to witness to Jehovah Witnesses. And so you can take that time and that break from when they come to your door to when you reschedule to actually get studied up and read up, you know. Or, like again, if you know someone who has um, experience, you can talk to them, and you can even invite them to this meeting with, with these um, Jehovah Witnesses who are coming back to your home. But that that's just one thing to keep in mind. You can always, if you're not prepared at that very moment, if you're caught off guard, you can always tell them to come back at another time, and you can set a time with them, and they will gladly come back to your door. So don't feel like you have to be ready on the spot because many times when they come, you're, you know, you're in the middle of doing doing things, you know, in our home, you know, cooking dinner or, or what have you. So that, that's one of my first tips about just the whole practicality of witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, the second thing is when they do come, if they have to come back, you know, for a second, you know, um, when you reschedule or if you invited them in that day, um, just treat them like human beings, like people. <laughs> just love them like you would anyone else. I mean, obviously, they have false doctrine, and obviously, they're deceived. But just if you treat them like a human being, offer them, you know, lemonade or sweet tea if you're in the South. We do sweet tea in the South. Other parts of the country, you guys don't know about sweet tea, but <laughs> um, just things like that. Just uh, treating them like a human being um, will open doors that you can never imagine. And so um, that would be my second tip. So the first tip is they come to the door. First tip is don't actually don't slam the door in their face and don't avoid them. Second tip is reschedule for a time for them to come back if it's an inconvenient time for you. And third tip is to treat them like a human being. And I'll just, I'll give you an example. Um, Devin and I have had the same uh, witnesses come into our home for, it's been two years. And um, one of the neat things is that my daughter has been very involved, and she's only five. <laughs> so she's not involved in the sense of the discussion. But she just comes and she just loves on them, and they love on her. And it makes it, it lowers the the it lowers attention. You know, obviously we have doctrinal differences, but it just lowers attention, and they they just love her so much. I actually gave um, both of the um, the male witnesses, their, their older men, I gave them her, uh, I had extra school pictures, um, and I gave those pictures to them. And they both said they posted them, or they bring the pictures and put them on their mantles. And my prayer is that when they look at those pictures of my daughter, that they will remember the love that we share with them, how much she's cared for them, but more importantly, that they will think on the truths that we've shared with them throughout these two years. 
So that's another practical thing is just, again, treating them like human beings. Um, And then another thing is when you, um, as we transition into going into doctrine, we want to make it clear that um, you're likely not going to convert a Jehovah Witness who is committed to that church and organization the first time they come to your doorstep. It's going to be a process. And I know for some, they just think if you just, you know, you just lay out the gospel and they'll, they'll respond, and, the, and, and they can. They, they might. But the, and God can do anything, right? But you're talking about people who have been basically indoctrinated. And so to come out of indoctrination is difficult, it's humbling, and it's a process. And so that's something that we need to be mindful of as we're witnessing and sharing the truth with them. So with that being said, I laid out just some practical tools that I think that um, have been very helpful in our experiences, and I hope that can be helpful in your experiences. And I apologize again, my throat is just getting froggier because of the sinus um, pressure with this North Carolina, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina weather is just all over the place. So one day it's sunny and bright, and one day it's rainy and, and, and like it is today. And somehow my sinuses are just blowing with the wind, with the, with the, um, with the weather. So just bear with me, and I hope that you can hear me well. Um, do remember that the major hangup between us and Jehovah's Witnesses is on the person of Jesus Christ and who he is, and who he is represented in terms of the doctrine of the Trinity. That's a huge thing. That That is, that's not a, um, you know, we, we talk about doctrinal differences, um, Presbyterians baptize babies, and Baptists don't, and, you know, there's a debate about that. And, and that's minor. That's not a, salvish, a sal, salvific issue. But there are issues that are deeper than that that come to mind when we are dealing with our Jehovah Witnesses, uh, our friends, and our neighbors. The doctrine of the Trinity is is one of the essential doctrines of Christianity. It can't there, now. It, how, people will say things like, "What about the, the thief on the cross?" Right. He's dying beside Christ, and he confesses his belief in Jesus. I mean, did he have understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity? Probably not, you know, as he was dying. Um, But it's one thing to not have a complete understanding. And there's a whole other issue when you despise this doctrine that is essential to Christianity, that declares that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God. Um, I I typically um, and Devin and I both we we um, memorization is is key for us in a lot of situations because flying flying off the cuff is is great because you need that and when you're dealing with people but there's there's certain um, uh, definitions and things that we need to have properly memorized in scriptures that we need to have properly memorized. More talking to people that are not saved. Um, 
When it comes to the doctrine of the Trinity, our favorite definition has come from James White's book, The Forgotten Trinity. And I would so suggest that book for anyone, um, Christian or non-Christian, because it really uh, dives deep into what the Trinity is and who the three persons, divine persons of the Trinity are and how the Trinity works. But there's this definition that we've memorized that really just helps us to clarify this doctrine when we're talking to, to Jehovah's Witnesses. And it is within the one being that is God, there exists three co-equal, co-eternal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I'll, I'll repeat that, okay? Within the one being that is God, there exists three co-equal co-eternal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we look at that definition, it's so critical because we are referring to both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as being God, but that they are all equal. They're all co-equal, and they all are co-eternal, co-eternal, meaning that they've always existed. So even though you have... Jesus being incarnated um, at the cross, or I'm sorry, incarnated at his birth, which we celebrate at Christmas time, right, when Jesus came to earth. Jesus has still existed for etern- all eternity. He's just, and even when I talk about all eternity, like that's even a time reference, but Jesus has just always been. Um, at, at the incarnation, he came into human existence. He added a human nature to himself. But he had always existed as God, and the same with the Holy Spirit, and obviously the same with the Father. Um, so, this doctrine of the Trinity is, is and, and they'll, many Jehovah's Witnesses will try to tell you that this is something that's been derived by church leaders later, and it doesn't mean anything, and it's just some human um, uh, kind of concoction. Um, but the doctrine of the Trinity is derived from Scripture. There's not one Scripture that, that defines the Trinity, but there, through a systematic look at Scripture, you can see numerous passages that point to the Father being God, the Son being God, and Jesus being God. Excuse me, the Father is the Son, and I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit being God. And all of them being co-eternal. All of them have always existed. So there are various passages throughout Scripture that we use to formulate the doctrine of the Trinity and to derive that um, that there are three co-eternal, co-persons, co-equal persons in the Godhead. Um, so it's not a tradition, as some would say. Um, we have the truth through Scripture that all of the, the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all possess the attributes of God. Um, in Deuteronomy 6.4, we're told that our God is one. Therefore, um, the above, the definition of the Trinity um, is not contradictory because we're saying that there's one God and three persons. So there is no contradiction. 
logically or philosophically or biblically. We're still referring to the one God when we're talking about um, Jesus uh, and the Father and the Holy Spirit when we're talking to, uh, with the Jehovah Witnesses. Um, one, of the, the, one of the main hangups that you'll also run into with the Jehovah Witnesses at your front door is on the Holy Spirit. And I'll admit, in Christendom, um, even in Orthodox Christendom, there's a lot of misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. Um, there's lots of debate about how he moves and how he works through his people, um, through, through gifts of the Spirit and etc. But we won't get into that. Um, we'll just talk about who the Holy Spirit is. Um, and what we mean when we're talking about a person. So when I say that there are three persons in the Trinity, there are three, there are three beings, or excuse me, there are three persons within the one being who is God. We're talking about personhood in a, different, in a, a certain way. So let, let's look at what a person is. Um, a person is one that we think of mostly it's having flesh and bone, right? Me, you, and brother, your coworker, flesh and blood, they're a person. A physical being, that's typically what we think about when we think about what a person is. And some of this is a little philosophical, but we're going to get to the scriptures as well in this discussion. Um, however, what makes you a person, it's not merely because you're a physical being with flesh and bone. The true definition of what constitutes a person is one who possesses mind, will, and emotions. Okay? Mind, will, and emotions. And this is important as we, as we move into our conversation more because persons are not just people with flesh and bones because when we think about uh, Satan, you know, as being a person, as being a real being. We think about um, angels and demons and these sort of things. We're not talking about beings with flesh and bones. We're talking about beings that still possess mind, will, and emotions. So they're a person. So in other words, it's not what, what's inside that makes your person. It's not, excuse me, it's not, but what's outside that makes you a person is what's inside that makes you a person. Um, if you just had a body, but you had no mind, will, or emotion, you'd just be a body, but you wouldn't be a person, right? So what the cults don't usually contest, they don't usually contest that the father or the son a person, but they will contest. Um, the Holy Spirit being a person. And they will contest this on grounds of, uh, of various things. But we can show through Scripture when we talk about personhood, about what a person is, one who possesses mind, will, and emotion. We can demonstrate clearly through Scripture that the Holy Spirit has all of these characteristics. The, basically, the job witnesses their view on the Holy Spirit on the Holy Spirit is that um, the Holy Spirit is just merely God's active force. 
um, like electricity or what have you. He just it's just this force. It's, it, there's no personality. There's no personhood attributed to the Holy Spirit um, in the Jehovah Witness um, beliefs. But we know that um, the Holy Spirit is not merely God's active force, but the Holy Spirit is also God, and he's a person. And it can be shown. So let's, let's talk about that here just a moment. We'll look at some scriptures here. Um, let me put my, I got my Bible here. And we're going to do some, do some good old Bible study. 1 Corinthians 2.10. Um, I'll start by saying, um, remember we said that a person has mind, will, and emotions. So we're going to demonstrate that the Holy Spirit has mind, will, and emotions. So when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, and again, I'm my Bible now, but I'm just kind of been unprepared a little bit today preparing for this um, along because of our unforeseen circumstances in our home with Devin not being able to be here. Um, but in uh in second, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.10, we see clearly that the Holy Spirit all things. It talks about God searching our hearts, about the Holy Spirit searching our hearts. And so if the Holy Spirit was merely just this inanimate um, active force of God that's sent to do things, how in the world could this same Holy Spirit Search our hearts, right? It would seem to me that you would have to have attributes of personhood in order to search hearts. Um, electricity doesn't search our hearts, right? Um, gravity doesn't search our hearts either. But the Holy Spirit has is, is been revealed to us in Scripture that he searches our hearts. And for the believer, I'll say this on a practical level and from a personal level, that's a that's a um, very sobering thought when you think about the fact that the Holy Spirit searches our heart. Um, because there's many times, um, and I can say this being a campus minister and a missionary, we can do things that are righteous um, and helpful and compassionate. We can do all these acts of service, but the Holy Spirit is still able to search our heart, to see if our hearts are in the right place when we're performing these acts. Because God cares about our hearts and not just our actions. So that that's a, a very compelling scripture, how the Holy Spirit um, searches our search, searches all things, um, including our hearts. Um, let me let's look at First Corinthians, the next verse even. First Corinthians, uh, let's see here. Pulling that up. First Corinthians, um, chapter two, verse eleven, the the very next verse. And I'm reading from the the translation of the Bible, which is my favorite translation because I love that it's literal, but it's very very readable and very, um, it's just very powerful in its articulation of what God has to say. 
So in First Corinthians um, two verse eleven, it says, "For for who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God." The scripture in First Corinthians two eleven is telling us that the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God, right? That's unique. That's unique. Human beings, we have to pray for God's revelation, but the Holy Spirit already knows the thoughts of God. How could that make him not God to know the mind of God? Let's look at Romans 8. I'll put it back to my Bible. The old traditional way. Again, I apologize for my voice going in and out. I hope that you can understand me well. Um, Romans 8, verses 25 through 27. And I'm going to actually throw my glasses on because I can barely see these days, unfortunately. (laughs) Without my glasses getting old there. I'll be 40. Uh, in a couple months, so it's very telling. But um, Romans eight twenty-five through twenty-seven says, "But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought." But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So, again, with a Jehovah Witness, we think that that the Holy Spirit is just this force that God sends out and just to do things. Here in the Scripture, we're seeing something completely different. We're seeing that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And the Holy Spirit is praying for us. And so that is, that's unique, and and that is an attribute of personhood. Look, and also, um, let's see here. We looked at, uh, well, Romans eight twenty five through 27, he knows, yeah, he knows our minds and, our, and searches our hearts, which we, which we just read. Let's look at John, the book of John, chapter 14. Um, verse 26. Okay. So John 14, 26 reads, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And will bring your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is able to teach us. And not only teach us, but bring things to remembrance of the things that Christ has said and done. And an animate object, force, 
cannot teach you anything. The Holy Spirit teaches us and is real and in the life of the believer is an active part of our lives. And then we'll we'll look at one more here, John 16, verse 13. Okay. So in John 16, 13, the scripture says, when the spirit of truth comes, and this is referring to the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So here we have the Holy Spirit who is guiding us into all truth. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He'll speak things. He will show us things. And an inanimate object can't teach you a thing. Gravity cannot teach you a thing, right? So we can show from the scriptures that the Jehovah Witness position, that the Holy Spirit is just some inanimate force, is, is not, um, isn't accurate. Let's look at how the Holy Spirit has emotions. Let's look at the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look at Ephesians verses, uh, verse 4, verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 30. This is so cool just when you start, even when you're, this is one of the things that I think I love about ministering to the cults because it, drives me into the scriptures to dig deeper into my own faith and to understanding more about Christianity and who Jesus is and who God is and who the Holy Spirit is and the Father. So I, I love that part of, of, of ministering to the cultists because so, it's not always um, we don't have to slam the door in their face again. This is an opportunity for us to dig deeper and to share those truths, learning and reading, and that we already know the people who don't understand the truth. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Let's see, did I get there? I'm on chapter 4. Okay, I'm there. Ephesians 4, excuse me, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed, for the day of redemption. And I'll read that again. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the scripture tells us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And none of us obviously wants to grieve the Holy Spirit. But we do at times, right? Through our actions, through our words, through our deeds, through our unbelief, we do grieve the Holy Spirit. But the the fact that we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit is proof that he's an actual person. 
he is a real person. He's not. He has mind, will, and emotions, and he's not just an inanimate object. Object um, that the Jehovah Witness uh, religion teaches. In Hebrews chapter ten, verse twenty-nine, I won't turn there for time's sake, but it talks about how we can insult the Holy Spirit. So we can insult Him. Again, you cannot insult something or that is or someone who's not real and who's not pers- a personal being, but he can be insulted. Um, in the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 3 through 4, you know, that, that's a, we, um, I know a lot of us in church, we hear that, that whole, um, story about Ananias and Sapphira and how they how they lied and how they were dropped dead. But there's a lot to learn about the Holy Spirit even in those verses. And this is in Acts chapter 5. Let me get there real quick. So Acts chapter 5 and we'll read verses um, 3 through 4. And this is, again, in the context, Ananias and Sapphira, they, they came to the altar to offer these monetary gifts to the Lord um, in the church setting. Um, but they held back that they had either promised or in their hearts what they were supposed to give. And, and they dropped dead because of it, because of their their greed, their personal greed, and their lying. Um, so in verses 3 through 4, um, let's read here. Again. Okay. Chapter 3. Um, but Ananias, with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the, the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, and obviously this had been revealed to Peter, and Peter said, Ananias, why? Has Satan filled you, filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep track for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So if you go back and look at um, verse um, 3, he refers to uh, the heart of, of Ananias lying to the Holy Spirit. And here we are at verse 5, and it says, You have not lied to men, but to God. So in the scripture, it's equated that lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. 
And we know that God is unique, holy, omnipotent, omnipresent. There is none like him. There is none who can, who's beside him, who can stand before him. So the fact that Ananias lied to, or to, to the Holy Spirit, he was lying to God himself because the Holy Spirit is, in fact, God. Wow. That's just such a, you know, we read that and we just kind of glimpse over the fact that there's a, there's a, a um, very foundational teaching there about who the Holy Spirit is, that he is, in fact, God. Matthew 12, verses 30 through 32, tells us that you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the, you know, people usually afraid of that because they think blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So people are afraid of blaspheming the Holy Spirit because they, they know that that is lying to God and blaspheming God. Because the Holy Spirit is, in fact, God. Otherwise, what would be the fear in blaspheming the Holy Spirit? And the scripture tells us more in those verses. If you go back and read them, we don't have time. But it it goes more into detail. It just confirms that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, God. Um, Acts 5, 9, it tells us to test the Spirit to see if they are of God talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be tested. I mean, the Holy Spirit is a person. He possesses personhood. And he is God, in fact. He can be tested. Also, the Holy Spirit has a will. So we talked about personhood, meaning one who has mind, will, and emotion. So we just we went over how the Holy Spirit has mind in several verses. Then we went over in these um, verses just now about how the Holy Spirit has emotions. And we'll look at now how the Holy Spirit has a will. So we're going to look at First Corinthians. Let's see here. <clears throat> and I'm so sorry again for my voice. I'm I'm drinking tea. I'm trying to just keep my voice as right as it can be, but it's not cooperating. But I just believe that the Lord will speak through this podcast and that you can decipher what he would have you to hear in his sovereignty. So First Corinthians verses 12, or excuse me, chapter 12, verse 11. Let's look at that. And this verse is talking about the gift of the Spirit. It says, well, actually, I think I'll go back a little bit. I'll go, um, let's see, I'll go back to verse 8. For one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by that same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between 
spirit, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So that last verse is so key because it refers to the Holy Spirit empowering believers and the Holy Spirit apportioning or gifting each believer with the gift that they have. So the Holy Spirit gives us what, what, what spiritual gifts that we have. So when Christians a lot of times they say, I don't, I, don't, well, no, I don't have a spiritual gift. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. You have a spiritual gift because the Holy Spirit has a portion you a spiritual gift. Again, in the Jehovah Witness theology, if the Holy Spirit is just this inanimate object and force, how can he choose and decide what gifts each believer is to have? And he knows for each one of us what the best gift is for us, and we are to be operating in those gifts on a regular basis, every day of our lives, because these are gifts that are not from man, but these are gifts that are from God, from the Holy Spirit, from God the Holy Spirit. Um, we look at Second um, Timothy 3.16, and that verse is talking about how Men, it, it talks about actually the word of God, how the word of God came to be. And it talks about how men who were moved by the Holy Spirit recorded the words of Scripture. And I'll, I'll look at that um, specifically here. So it's First Timothy 3, 16. So the verse talks about men being led by the Holy being carried along by the Holy Spirit, that their words that they recorded in Scripture were not their own words, but they were words that were given to them because they were carried along by the Holy Scripture. By the Holy Spirit. Sorry, and I had first, I'm sorry, I said first, I was looking at first Timothy, I'm sorry. It is, it's second Timothy 3.16. So let me read that. Um, all scripture is breathed out by God. So keep that in mind. All scripture is breathed out by God. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So the Spirit breathed out the word of God through these men to the Spirit moved and carried along and gave the words of Scripture. So that, that means that the Holy Spirit has a will, 
has a desire for the word of God to be preached and to be proclaimed. And so in, in doing that, he moved along these men and gave them the words of God. Um, Acts 17, or excuse me, Acts 11. I'll go there too real quick. And I'm not going to take too much more of your time. We actually probably will do a part two of this because there's so much that we can discuss as it relates to the Holy Spirit and um, his personhood and, and him being God and how we uh, deal with that when we're talking to our Jehovah's Witnesses, um, friends and neighbors. Acts 11, beginning in verse 7. Okay, it says, and I heard, and I heard a voice saying to me, "Rise, Peter, kill and eat." But I said, "By no means." And this is this is Peter. Peter's a part of the church. I said, "By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean." has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. So in this verse, in this verse, that was through, let's see, that was excellent. Okay, let's go through verse 12, actually. Um, this happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go to them, making no distinction. So the Holy Spirit gave Peter clear direction in this situation to go to these men. The Holy Spirit distinctly gave Peter these instructions. Again, the, Je- the Jehovah Witness teaching that the Holy Spirit is just some force does not reckon with Scripture that tells us that the Holy Spirit actually guides us, teaches us, and in this case, gave Peter clear instructions about what to do in this situation that he was very confused over. And, and specifically in this context, it was around this whole topic of eating clean versus unclean things. Okay? And we'll, we'll end on one. Let's, let's read just a couple more verses, and then we will I'll, I'll wrap up. Um, let's look at the book of John, verses 14. Oh, excuse me, chapter 14. I can't, I can't say in verses. Chapter 14, verse 3. Okay. And this scripture says, um, and this is, this is Jesus um, talking to his disciples. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself 
that where I am, you may be also. That where I am, you may be also. Let's see here. Um, Lord, and, and Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would always you ha- you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him and have seen him. Um, I think I may have um, I may have got the wrong passage there. I'm so sorry. Um, the passage that I was that I was um, intending to read was the passage where in John where um, it, it refers to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit bringing things to our remembrance and how um, as the Father, as Jesus is teaching, is teaching his disciples on earth, he's, he's laying out all these teachings and he's empowering them with, them with these teachings. And here they are. This actually does fit in perfectly. Here they are. Um, the Lord is, is telling them that he's going to basically die and go away. So those three years that they've been with the Lord, um, they've been learning and gaining insight, but he's going to be gone. And so they're fearful. They're like, what do we do now? Like, you've been here with us, and now you're going to be gone? Uh, what do we do, Lord, you know? But the Lord promises to send them a helper, a teacher, who will bring all of his teachings to their remembrance, and that is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God, and he brings those teachings to his disciples, just as he does to me and you today. When we're in certain situations, um, we don't know what to do, um, when we're confused, when we're angry, whatever situation that we're in, the Holy Spirit will bring the teachings of the Lord to our remembrance. Again, in Jehovah Witness theology, the Holy Spirit is not able to do those things. He's just this inanimate force. But in Christian theology, Orthodox Christian theology, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is God. He is active, he's teaching us, he's guiding us, and we're learning through him. And we'll look at one more verse, and then we will call it a day. Let's look at the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 9. All right, so Acts 5, 9. But Peter said, let's go back to 8, actually. Um, And then for context, I love, I just, I I don't like reading scriptures just out of context. I just, I always love to have the context so that people know you're not just bringing things out just to make a point, but that there's a context to um, the doctrines that you're, that you're proclaiming through scripture. Um, In verse um, eight, Peter says to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? And this is referring back to Ananias and Sapphira, who we 
talked about earlier about how the Holy Spirit has a mind, and he was able to know the mind of uh, Ananias and Sapphira, to know that they were not being honest. But here we're talking about the Lord, God, God the Holy Spirit, having a having a, uh, a will in this particular situation. Um, so let's see here. Eight. Let's see, am I at the right verse? No, I'm not. Sorry. I'm not at the right verse. Let's go to Acts 8.29. Sorry. But, but in that verse, though, again, it reiterates um, that the Holy Spirit does have have a mind and he has a will because right then Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead because of their lie, the Holy Spirit. But we're going to look at Acts verses 8. Um, let's see here. Verses 8, 39. I'm going to start at 38 again. Like I said, I love to read content so that um, we know that we're not just pulling scripture just out of the symbol there. Um, and this is referring to Philip. This is a, um, a encounter with Philip and the Lord. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So here in this verse we see that Philip baptized this If you know the whole story, it's such an amazing story. I would actually encourage you to read Acts 8 tonight. Um, it's, just, it's just an amazing story of God's sovereignty and how he saves those um, who are unlikely and how when we search for God, we find God. Because this eunuch was looking for the Lord and wanted to be baptized, and the Lord sent Philip to him to baptize him. But again, in this verse, it says, so Philip, found, he, he came across the eunuch that the Lord led him to, and he baptized him. And they came out of the water, and the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. So even in this verse, we see that the spirit actually led, if you read the whole, the whole chapter, the spirit led Philip to this eunuch to baptize him. And after that happened, he carried him away. It's just an amazing, um, just an amazing observation of how the Holy Spirit speaks and leads and guides us. And this unit was baptized because of that. And after that, the Lord led him away. So the Holy Spirit, as we have discussed here, has a mind, has emotions, and he has a will. Just as what we would describe as personhood with, you know, with anyone. But also, we'll talk next time, next week we'll, we'll talk again more about the Holy Spirit and about um, the name of the Holy Spirit and how sometimes there's this lack of name, this lack of a personal name that's given to the Holy Spirit, but how we see him being 
specifically identified in Scripture as the Holy Spirit and his actions that act accordingly to him being God. So, again, these are just some some practical tips to help you um, as you're talking to your Jehovah Witnesses friends who come to your doorstep. And you can email me anytime, melissapalou at rashochristie.org with any questions, comments, thoughts, objections. We just want you to be ready and prepared um, for when the Jehovah Witness comes and knocks on the door to know that we have the truth and that we can be confident in the truth and that we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear because the Holy Spirit is with us. And as we just discussed and saw, he brings things to our remembrance that we study, and he equips us and he empowers us and he leads us and he guides us. So with that being said, um, we'll go ahead and end in prayer. And I will look forward to seeing you all next week. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together with my friends across the, the country or world or wherever they may be, Lord. I, even with my voice issues, Lord, I pray that you touch my vocal cords and help me to be better able to communicate the next time with our friends. But, Lord, I also pray for our Jehovah Witnesses, friends and neighbors who are lost, Lord, who think that they have the truth, Lord, but they don't know the true Lord Jesus. They don't know the true gospel. So give us those who have the gift of salvation, who know the truth and who live the truth. Give us compassion. Give us love. And give us the truth that we can share with our neighbors who desperately need to know you, Lord. We pray these things in the name of our Lord, our Savior, our Master, the one who we fall so short. We fall so short of of meeting your standard, God, but you're the merciful God who still uses us and still guides us and still speaks to us and who still loves us. We pray these things all in your holy and majestic and powerful name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So next week, join us. Um, we sh- we will um, post more on our Facebook about um, the time that we will be um, airing next week because it, our schedule is all over the place a lot of the days with doing full-time missionary work on the campus. But we will we promise to continue this study because, you know, it's so fascinating. But feel free to, again, email me, Melissa Palou at rashiochristie.org or Devin Palou at rashiochristie.org. And, if, you know, for follow-up questions or if you have Jehovah Witness friends, neighbors, family members, and we're more than happy to walk you through what's worked for us and um, through trial and error, <laughs> but what we've seen God do in, uh, in mighty ways. So we love you all and we thank you. And thank you for joining us for Theology and Matters of the Blues. Have a great week. God bless.